Welcome back to Throw the Flag, Coach! Our weekly podcast covering the NFL and maybe some other uh, sports uh, during the NFL 2023 season. Welcome back. I'm Coach Jerry. Uh, as some of you had a chance to listen to us last week, uh, we, we had the chance to have some fun and uh, set up week two, which was a great week of uh, football. And so as we continue through the season, for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, this is something I've been wanting to do for a while and uh, was able to get a couple of uh, family members to help out with the, the production and the technical side. And so I'm thankful to them. And so every week, our podcast will be dropping on Wednesday and they'll be looking at the week that was in the NFL. Uh, we'll take a look at spotlighting a division every week, talk about the f- top five teams and basically whatever else is on my mind re- regarding the NFL. And then we'll uh, set up and preview the uh, upcoming week. And so welcome, and uh, glad you could join us. Hope you're able to enjoy the ride with us for uh, all 17 weeks of the NFL season for this season. And so with that, we are going to turn our attention to week two of the NFL. So that was another great weekend of football. It was nice to see Buffalo back on track, pounding the Las Vegas Raiders. Baker Mayfield has Tampa 2-0. Maybe it wasn't about the quarterback these last few years in Tampa Bay. Just kidding there, TB12 people. The Hoodie and the Bengals are 0-2. And my first two flags of the week are being thrown at coaches that led their teams to defeat. Doug Peterson, that was a joke of a performance against the Kansas City Chiefs. All hail Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, and they found a way to fight through and win down in Jacksonville. But I don't know what Doug Peterson was thinking with his with his coaching. Run the ball, coach. You can't hold up against a defensive line. Well, gee, you're in 47 degrees Celsius, 120 degree Fahrenheit weather down there with humidity. Run the ball. Go up tempo. Run them out of gas. You started that way too late. And then when you did start having success, you were starting to tire out the Chiefs' defense. And so what do you do? You slow it back down again, and you give them a chance to come back at you. That was brutal coaching. And what are you teaching on offense? All the receivers are running out of bounds. They give no chance to actually catch the ball in the end zone. There were three or four clear misses where even if they ran it right and the quarterback threw a perfect strike, it wasn't going to be a touchdown because these guys are running out of bounds. What size field do you use during practice, coach? So, Peterson, you're getting my fly because the Jacksonville Jaguars should have won that game going away against the Kansas City Chiefs team that's still trying to figure it out as they start the new season as champs. And so the Jaguars, that was – Doug Peterson said that was going to be a statement game. That was going to be a measurement game to see where they are as a team. I think the team is there. I think the coaching isn't. And you better clean it up or you're not going to beat Andy Reeves and you're not going to do anything in the playoffs this year. You've got a young team, but you've got to make sure that you prepare yourself. You have home field advantage and you were coaching there last year. You didn't realize that there's a lot of humidity and heat in Florida. The other Florida teams all wore white. Why? Because they're trying to use their home field advantage and have the heat coming on against the opponent. What did you do? You're wearing deep teal. You're not running the other team who's not used to practicing and not used to playing in that type of humidity in September where it's wicked hot. 
Your guys should have been able to handle it, and you didn't use that to your advantage. You're the reason you lost. Your defense played out. They were unbelievable holding the Chiefs to 17. And the only reason the Chiefs even got that is because Mahomes is amazing, and he made some unbelievable plays. But Jacksonville should have won that game, going away. And Doug Peterson, that first flag is for you. And then, of course, going 5,280 feet above sea level, two time zones away in Denver, Colorado, Sean Payton, what the hell are you doing? You should also know. I understand you're new in Denver, but you should be able to know what your home field advantage is. And similar to what happened in Jacksonville, it's not about the heat. It's about the thin air. And so you run tempo. Your guys can't hold up against the best defensive front in the NFL. You can't run them tired. You, you go up tempo. You start running quick plays. You start running fast plays. You negate that front four. You're up 21-3. to three. Everything was looking great. And what did you do? You stopped running the ball. What did you do? Start putting Russell Wilson in the middle of the pocket, not moving him at all because there was too much success last week. Why move him around? You don't run the ball. You've got great backfield, not to mention tearing down the clock, possession time, sparing that brutal defense. And what did you do? You didn't use any of that. You should have been having them hanging, hanging for breath, hanging onto their knees, trying to get breath in the fourth quarter. And instead, you made that Washington team look like the 85 Bears in terms of defense. And even on offense, that was such a terrible performance by the Broncos D. 21-3, to how do you give up that kind of a lead? Ridiculous. So Sean Payton throwing the flag at you because that was awful. That was an awful coaching performance. And then Vance Joseph, I don't know what you're doing, but that defense was elite. Top five in the NFL the last couple years. And they're just running through you like Swiss cheese. They're running basic plays, and linebackers are lost. Your outside linebackers don't even know who to tackle. They're completely out of the picture. That was a terrible performance. Washington had no business winning that game, but Denver handed it to him on a silver platter. So both of you coaches, coaches matter. And as much as it's the players that win and lose the game, coaches go a long way. And boy, you two coaches, you really screwed it up in week two. And we're back. So as promised last week, every week there'll be a little bit of a focus or a spotlight on an NFL topic. And this one got a little bit under my skin last week, so I promised our listeners out there that I was going to take some time to talk about Aaron Rodgers and his place in history. With all the hype and nonsense, hard knocks, going to the Jets, all this other junk about how great he is, you have Mike Greenberg from ESPN and others who are talking about Aaron Rodgers being a top five quarterback of all time, which just, I, I can't even stand because it's such hyperbole. It's so ridiculous. But yet enough of these people are talking about it that I just felt I needed an opportunity to address this because I'm sure you, the listeners out there, know better. And you're willing to listen to a reasonable case and not take the bait that these guys have taken. Because there's no chance that Aaron Rodgers is a top five quarterback. None at all. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a little visit to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Is it TB12 or Peyton Manning? Montana or Unitas? Are they in that neighborhood? Stop it already. These guys have multiple championships. They've, they've won multiple titles. They've won multiple MVPs. They've done so much more than Aaron Rodgers could ever think of. 
Aaron Rodgers has only gotten to one Super Bowl, which he's won. So congratulations to you. But that just puts you in the company of Trent Dilfer, Jim McMahon, and Joe Flacco. Not exactly a Hall of Fame list, to be sure. But Aaron has almost 60,000 yards and four MVPs, is what his fans will say. And that's true. His four MVPs is his biggest accomplishment. But the stats, they're a joke. After 2004, all the offensive stats have increased by at least 25 to 40%, right overnight, because the NFL changed all the rules so offenses could thrive. If Dan Marino or Terry Bradshaw could have thrown after 2004, their stats would have been way over 100,000 yards. It wouldn't have even been close to any of the guys from today. In Aaron Rodgers' neighborhood, you would see guys like Eli Manning, who has two Super Bowls, Big Ben, who went to three Super Bowls and won two, Phillip Rivers, who threw 5,000 more yards, and Drew Brees, who, just like Aaron Rodgers, went to one Super Bowl, won one Super Bowl, and yet he's got 20,000 more yards and almost 100 more touchdowns in the exact same era. This means when you visit Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, expect to see quarterbacks between number 16 to 25 all time. Now, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Those are still Hall of Fame level quarterbacks. They still get their discount double checks well into retirement. But give your head a shake if some part of your brain thinks he's near top 10, let alone top 5. And oh, by the way, Aaron Rodgers barely makes the top three of his own Green Bay Packers team. Bart Starr took that franchise, which was dreadful, for over two decades. And he won five championships, including two Super Bowls. Brett Favre broke all the quarterback records of all time while only having played part of his career after 2004. And he went on to two Super Bowls and won one. And he, like Bart Starr, they both rejuvenated the, the franchise. Brett Favre rejuvenated the Packers after 25 years of awful play. But Mr. Aaron Rodgers, he took over a team that went to the NFC Championship game the year before. All his stats were after 2004, which were well above average, and he still only went to one Super Bowl. So move aside, Aaron Rodgers, for at least 15 other quarterbacks ahead of you, on the all-time list. So for this week, we look back to week number two, and I'm gonna give you my top five teams as it is right now in the NFL. Coming in at number five, they weren't on our list last week, but you gotta have the Baltimore Ravens on any kind of list, because they're 2-0. They had a pretty soft win in week one, but they had a legitimate win on the road against Cincinnati. This was a division win, hard-fought win, very physical, and, and now who knows if uh, Joe Burrows will even be around for a few weeks. So I think Baltimore has clearly shown themselves to be the top of the AFC North at this point. So they're at number five. Going on to number four, this team was on our list last week, but they slid down a couple of spots, and it's the Philadelphia Eagles. Again, the Eagles are 2-0. and uh, Both wins were okay. Uh, they got the wins. They did their job. But those second-half performances – that's, that's, a, that's an area of worry. They have a lot of injuries, and in both games, that defense completely let down in the second half. And if they do that against good teams, they're going to have some trouble later on. They can get healthy. They should be fine. And then number three, another team 
that was on this list last week, and some people might be screaming, this should be the top one. It's Dallas. Everyone's talking about the Dallas Cowboys. What else is new? They're 2-0, and and yes, they've had some dominant wins. Now, if they only play teams from New York, then look out 72 Dolphins. They're going for an undefeated season of 17-0. But we all know that's not going to be the case. They're actually going to have to play some real teams coming up. And so we'll wait to see how good they really are because they've been beating up on the lowly New York Giants and the New York Jets. So I just leave them there at number three. Number two was our top team from last week, San Francisco. They're 2-0. They did their job. They've won both road games. They had to fight against a tough Los Angeles Rams team, division team on the road, although two-thirds of the fans were theirs. Uh, So they did their job, um, but they, they were closer to their competition. And... Nothing bad on San Francisco. They're probably going to be there at the end of the season. But I had them number two on my list. Because number one, and these guys made it just at the bottom of the list last week, but they're clearly number one in my books. It's the Miami Dolphins. They're 2-0. and And their wins, I mean, their offense is still spectacular, even though the hoodie did a great job holding them down on Sunday night. But the fact is they've traveled the most. They're in South Florida, and they went to the southwest corner of the country to play Los Angeles Chargers, beat them then had to go cross-country to the northeast corner to Boston and play a Foxborough against the Hoodie on Sunday night primetime. And wow, did they play discipline. And that defense, Vic Fangio got that defense playing better, and they played they played hard. It was a physical, tough-fought division game, and they came out of it with flying colors. And that offense still looks really, really good. And so right now, after two weeks, I'd have to give, I'd have to give the nod to the Miami Dolphins, the 2-0 Miami Dolphins. Now, as you're going to get every week, a special note about my Denver Broncos. As frustrated as I am with Denver, the coaching was brutal. The defense was Swiss cheese. But I still thought saw things that were encouraging, and I'm trying to hang my hat on that. And, oh, thanks, by the way, to the officials for deciding not to, not to call the game for the entire 60 minutes. The only reason I can think of that that pass interference wasn't called on Sunday was because those guys had some reservation at a great steakhouse in Denver, and they didn't want to blow their reservation, and they didn't want to go to overtime. Because what on earth does it take to get a pass interference called, especially in that game, where they were calling ticky-tack fouls all through the game against Denver, let's let all kinds of stuff go with Washington, and on the last play of the game, where everybody in the country is watching it, what on earth do you have to do to call a pass interference? That They should have had a two-point chance. Denver deserved to lose, but to lose like that was a joke. And Russell Wilson isn't the problem. He's still progressing, but he's not the issue in Denver. He's actually doing fairly well. If they can take pieces from week one and pieces from week two, I believe they're going to be a top 10 offense by the end of the season. It's the other stuff in Denver that's frustrating. And as angry as I was after that game, I started feeling a little bit better when I thought about the Jets and the Chargers and realized, boy, it could be really, it could be a lot worse being a fan of those teams than Denver. And that help pick up my spirits because we've got a franchise quarterback and we have a Hall of Fame coach. So there's hope for us yet for the upcoming weeks. Now we're going to take a few moments to do our division spotlight. This is something we'll be doing every week taking a closer look at each of the eight divisions in the NFL. And so last week we had a chance to look at the AFC East. And so this week our division spotlight is the NFC East. For years, 
this was the NFC least. This was the most embarrassing division for quite a long time. But in the last three years, boy, they've really changed that. And some of the strongest teams now in the NFL clearly reside in the NFC East. And so again, in alphabetical order, uh, we're going to start with uh, Dallas in, uh, in the heart of Texas. Their defense looks amazing. They're as good as advertised. Micah Parsons, uh, I said it from the time he was drafted, he's going to be the second coming of Lawrence Taylor. He's just got that skill set, and you can put him anywhere on the field, and he'll wreck offensive schemes, and that's what he's doing. And he was uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year, bit of a setback last year because of a couple of injuries, but uh, he's flying. And and uh, that defense is centered around him, but they have a they have depth at defensive line. They've got a solid and fast linebacking core, and they're secondary especially after adding Stephon Gilmore. Um, they stay healthy. That defense is probably going to be top two, if not the best in the NFL. They look incredibly solid. Now, the jury's still out about the offense. Now, fortunately, in their first two games, they didn't need Dak Prescott to be running so hot. They didn't need the offense to look amazing. They just needed to not screw up. And so that's what they've done. So the jury's still out. We'll see when they go up against better competition. Their O-line is better. They finally started to fix their O-line, which was what their strength was a few years ago until they screwed that up. And they have weapons still on the outside. Uh, and so that, that looks great. The question is going to be, and everybody's dumping praise on Dak Prescott and dumping praise on Coach McCarthy and his amazing play calling. Again, we'll see. If they played New York 17 weeks, then yeah, Dallas has got nothing to worry about. But they're actually going to be playing some real teams. So let's see. Uh, they're solid out of the gate. And let's see what they do against stiffer competition, especially when they start playing division games. So they're moving up north, I-95 to the Big Apple, the New York Giants. Again, like I shared with you last week, this isn't exactly a team that I'm cheering for. They got punked week one. So you figured, okay, now they're going to the desert to play probably the worst team in the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals. And they go down 28-7. to I mean, how humiliating. 28-7 to to the team that everybody says is tanking so that they can get the first pick overall. And they show up 28-7. to But then they got on a roll, and they, they needed the entire game and a last-second field goal to win it by three. So clap, 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 polite applause for the New York Giants. Although, funny thing, they lost Saquon Barkley to injury. Now, I don't know why it really matters, because the way they treated him, they're basically paying him like a punter, because that's where the franchise tag is for running backs. The only, the only people that they make more money in is, is the punter. So... If he's just that kind of value, then why all these special press conferences about Saquon Barkley and his health? My favorite is Brian Dable now giving interviews talking about how Saquon's such a quick healer. Whatever the hell that means. Really? You're trying to convince people he's going to be ready to go on Thursday night against San Francisco? Yeah, nice try. Love Brian Dable as an offensive mind. But he's terrible with that bunch of execs who paid him nothing and treated him like dirt. Saquon, best thing you could do, don't return. Take your time. Get properly healthy. Get ready so that you can bolt at the end of the year. Because this Giants team is awful. And hey, they're that awful, they'll probably end up with a top five pick and they'll get a real quarterback in the draft to put away that $40 million paper quarterback that they paid this past offseason. So that's what I think of the Giants. They're awful and, and it couldn't happen. They're going to get crushed against the Niners on Thursday night. Now moving down I-95 to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Well, you know what? They've looked okay. Coming out of the gate, they're in our top five. They did their job. They're 2-0, and uh, but they have given up some, some major points. They're loaded, but they're also injured. 
And I think what's exciting is, depending on how the season progresses, those games in November and December with Dallas, not only are they going to be really good, they're going to determine a lot, not just about the division, but even seeding in the NFC. Because both these teams are stacked, and it'll be amazing to see if they come into those contests healthy, and they've got the wins, and they've worked out the kinks with their new players and gotten injured guys back, those are going to be some serious clashes in November and December. So really looking forward to to seeing what Philly can do there. And then the final team in the NFC East is the Washington Commanders. And as I said earlier, Washington had no business winning that game against Denver. Thank you again to Sean Payton and Vance Joseph for screwing up that coaching job. Now, that said, they have, they have strong talent on both sides of the ball. And that front four, they're legit. They're probably the best four D linemen in, in the entire NFL. And with Chase Young coming back, they're so much more dynamic. He's he's a wrecker. He destroyed, and he did that against Denver. Um, and, and if they can rush four like that, well, then that protects their secondary and that protects their linebackers. And their secondary, they're one of the rare teams that plays a 4-2-5. So if you don't run the ball against them, if you can't pound them up front, they're going to take you apart because they've got five guys in the secondary who can, who can play pass defense. I think they'll cause some fits with Philly and with Dallas when they play. I don't think they have enough to hold up against those teams, but I think they're going to show up in games that you don't expect. And that D is going to keep them in a lot of games this year. Um, and, and, you know, it's nice to see Chase Young back after a couple of injury-filled years, and he's such a talent, and you hope that he's back for good uh, in the next little while. But Washington, they're going to be there, but they're in a stacked division. And so for this division, I think really it's going to be Washington and the Giants battling for the bottom part of the division. And I think the Giants are just going to yield to Washington. I think in those games, the Giants had that paper record from last year. They had all these great things, and then they got so full of themselves, and they didn't properly build the roster. And I think Washington is going to come up and sneak, sneak, sneak up on them and actually knock the Giants down to the basement of the NFC East. And I have to say a personal shout-out. As, as angry as I was about Washington, I'm really happy about Eric Bieniemy getting a chance to get some accolades and getting a chance to see that he's, he's paid his due. He's got the offensive mind. He has the coaching abilities, and he should have had a ho- head coaching job already. And hopefully Ron Rivera doesn't screw it up. He already did in training camp by, you know, being that second parent and, and letting players come to him and talk to him about how mean and how much of a struggle it is to play for Eric and Eric is just too tough and he's too... Hopefully, Ron Rivera doesn't do that anymore. He realized partway through and he has apologized and I'm hoping that's it. So as long as Ron Rivera doesn't screw it up, I think Eric Bieniemy is going to show a lot of people that he's a worthy head coach for next year and for years to come uh, with new franchises who are giving ridiculous coaching jobs to people who don't deserve it. I'm really happy about Eric Bieniemy, and I hope this is a season he's able to prove with the work he does with that offense that he is a legit offensive coach and he deserves a head coaching shot in the NFL. So now as we turn the corner with week two in the books, starting to look ahead to week three and the matchups that are coming, the top three games that I see and that you might want to take a few minutes to, to watch or follow along with your fantasy teams, uh, there are some duds, uh, but a couple of them are going to be really physical games, and I think they'll be a lot of fun to watch, and they'll be entertaining and close. The first game, the top game that I see this week is the, believe it or not, the Atlanta Falcons at the Detroit Lions. Who would have thought? These are two teams that have struggled for a while, but they're up and coming, 
and they have shown a physical nastiness. They both like to run the ball. They've got offensive lines. They've got coaches that really like to be physical. And so if what Falcons have shown in the first two weeks hold, this is going to be a very physical game. It's going to be a low-scoring game, tons of talent on the field, uh, but it should be entertaining. And who knows, maybe it will be a a 9-6 type of game, but it should be entertaining and it should be close. So if you get a chance, Atlanta-Detroit, 1 o'clock Eastern game, take a look at that because I think that's that's the top game for this week. The second one isn't so much about the quality of the teams. It's New England at the Jets. Obviously, it's a division rivalry. They hate each other, um, but they both stink. And the Jets, after losing Aaron Rodgers, this is their mortal enemy. And New England took them out twice last year, and the Jets couldn't do anything about it. And so they thought, for sure, with Aaron Rodgers, they're going to take down the hoodie, and they're going to take down the Patriots. Well, Patriots aren't great, but this will be an interesting team because both defenses are very, very good, and they're elite. And so what are the offenses going to do? And what's this going to look like? And again, they hate each other. The fans hate each other. The teams hate each other. The players hate each other. The coaches, like it's, so that should be fun in terms of entertainment value. I think it's going to be a five to three type of score because I don't know if anyone's going to score in this game. But again, it should be entertaining and there should be a lot of storylines coming out of this game. And the third one I would pick is Tennessee and Cleveland. Just because these are two heavy physical, heavy run type teams. And so they're going to beat the snot out of each other. And so this is going to be a black and blue type of game, similar to Atlanta-Detroit. But these guys are even heavier teams with heavy offensive lines, heavy defensive lines. And they are going to try to run through each other. And so I would think this is probably going to be the most physical game of the entire week. It'll definitely be close. And I'm really hoping. This is a personal hope, but I hope the front seven of the Titans destroy Cleveland's predator quarterback. And so with that, that's the end of uh, our podcast for throw the flag coach for week two. Uh, remember uh, you can contact us through email at ttfcoach at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks again for joining us this week. Have a wonderful week three. Hope to talk to you again next week.